Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. I hope you guys are doing well. It's great to be with you here this morning. I got back from Mexico on Friday. I was on vacation. Just wanted to let you know that. If I'm refreshed, look refreshed just because I am. You know, I have come to the conclusion that a week of vacation without the kids is like a month of vacation with. Hello, can someone give me an amen? That was, it was a great time. So we are in our series, Grace Cross, Grace Crossing, Grace Anatomy. I always get those um, confused. And this is essentially about the body of Christ. It's imagery that the New Testament authors use to describe the reality of what the church is, was, is, and will be the body of Christ. And so Paul took from, and the other New Testament authors took from uh, the idea of the body from us, that we are souls with a body. We are embodied souls. And so just like our soul has a body and our body is under the control of that mind or that soul that we have in that soul uses the body to navigate the world, and the body keeps the soul alive, keeps it within the body. Uh, So the body of Christ, the church, all of us are part of the physical structure, the physical representation of God, Jesus Christ, to this world, inhabited and empowered by his Holy Spirit. Just like we have a soul, the church has a soul, and the soul is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers the body to do the will of God and the mission of God and and navigate the environment that the body finds itself in. And the body of Christ as a whole is all over the world. Every Christian who ever was and is and will be is part of that body of Christ and also every local expression of the body of Christ, including this one right here in Beaver Creek, Ohio, serving God as his manifestation, his physical presence here on earth empowered by his Holy Spirit. The verse we've been using is 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and it says, For you are the body of Christ. All together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a part of it. I have a question. Uh, Have you ever used the phrase, I'm in over my head, to describe a situation that you're in? Come on, let's be honest, guys. It's okay. Um, What's going on inside when that happens? Well, here's what I think is happening. Um, there's a mismatch between the situation that we're in and our internal reality. The internal condition that we have and the external reality and the demands of that reality on us. There's a mismatch and that mismatch causes stress. I'll tell you about one in my life. There's been a few, just a couple. But one in particular, when I was a poor college student and I decided I needed to make money you know, because you need money to buy things. And so I decided not to sell my blood or to go and to do some weird experiment at MIT or Harvard because my uh, graduate school was in Boston. Uh, So I decided I would go and try to find a job the old-fashioned way. You know, I went to a temp agency. And so when I went to the temp agency, they put me into a job that was a serious mismatch for me. All right. Um, Have... Any of you ever worked in a call center? Raise your hand. Uh, Proud? Okay. God bless you. You're better than I am. Uh, That's not for me. And I was supposed to sell 
things on the phone. Well, not sell, I guess. I was actually supposed to convince people to give to a cystic fibrosis foundation, which that is a great cause, all right? Let's separate that from everything I'm about to say, okay? That is a great cause, and we should give to it, all right? They gave me a script, because you always have to have a script. And the first line, I kid you not, was, somebody has accused you of having a big heart. That was the first line. And of course, I didn't know them, and I didn't know the person that accused them, so it was super fake. Anyway, I'm calling it. I'm never good at that stuff. And my parents are here, and they're laughing because they know me so well. It's awful. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, I call this person. First, I'm sweating bullets because there's 150 names on this list. I'm like, I'm done for. And then I call, and the first guy that answers, I say, someone has accused you of having a big heart. And seriously, this is what he said, I doubt it. (laughs) And I realized in that moment that this was a mismatch of experiences, that this was not something I was made for, you know? There was a difference, a gap between my internal reality. And when I say my internal reality, what I mean is my skills and experiences and knowledge, relationships, understanding of the world, all of that, my personality, everything. There was a mismatch between that and the demands of the situation that I was in. And we're always kind of facing this, you know. Our internal reality is always interacting with the external reality, the demands of the situations that we're in relationally or intellectually or emotionally. We can't escape that. That, That's life. And as we're going through life, we're going to find times where there is an equilibrium that we can kind of sail through the situation with ease. Even that there could be a gap on the other side that we are so prepared for this situation that we just get right through it. And that creates a sense of confidence, right? It creates a sense of, I can do this, you know, a can-do attitude. But then, when there's a situation on the other side, when that gap is the other direction and it's negative, it creates serious stress and anxiety. So much so that it can really affect us emotionally. But I have a theory. I think that God uses the gaps on both sides, but especially the gap and the negative to grow us. I think God uses the gaps that we sense intuitively in our hearts between the situations that we are called to face. We didn't choose them necessarily. Sometimes we did. But the situations of life are constantly presenting to us a challenge. And they're constantly presenting to our internal integrity and our internal reality, the conglomeration and accumulation of our skills, of our experiences, of our relationships, and in particular, our relationship with God. These situations will begin to reveal things to us. And if we will learn to take some time to become aware of what's happening inside, And then to have the skill, to work on the skill, to be able to see where God is working, what we can see is that God has us all, every single one of us, on a growth path. 
And this growth path is a process. I've talked about it before a few weeks ago, but God uses process. A process is a series of steps and stages that moves towards a desired end, a goal, a result. See, a process isn't there for the process's sake. It's there to achieve an end. It's a means to an end, there to achieve a result or a goal. Actually, the Bible talks about it in the language of a fruit, in the language of agriculture. And actually, Jesus makes this clear in one of his parables about the nature of the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is God's reign and his rule. I mean, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We know that, those who follow him, and yet in that he has given us a will. He's given us a choice. He's given people the ability to say, yes, I will worship you, or no, I won't worship you, or yes, I will obey you, or no, I won't obey you. But one day, that choice will be taken away. There is a time when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness, and we won't have a choice. We will have to acknowledge God in his greatness and in his glory. And we will have to give him the praise that he deserves and he alone is worthy of whether we want to or not. And so, of course, the choice is better on this end than that end. Let me just tell you that right now. But the point still remains that God works now in a process. Jesus describes this in Mark chapter 4. It's verses 26 through 29. He's talking about parables, using stories to illustrate realities about the kingdom of God. And by the way, if you want to learn more about the kingdom of God, we did a whole series on it. That was a great series. I recommend you go listen to it called Kingdom Come. It's on iTunes. You can go to our website, resources section. But here's what Jesus says. He, that's Jesus, also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel, and the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And so what Jesus says is that a fundamental core truth, a core reality about the kingdom of God, which will be here, is that right now, during this time in this world that is subject to sin and corruption and death and limitation, because of the disobedience of man, Adam, our first father, and all of us following in his and our first mother Eve's footsteps, because of that, the kingdom of God now is here, and it starts small, but it always grows. Built into the very fabric built in the very nature of the kingdom, is that it will grow. Wherever the kingdom is, starting as a seed, starting as something so small, and yet when you examine what a seed is in there, it's the potential of that seed that's so important because that seed is going to produce something. And what does that seed produce? Well, ideally, that seed produces fruit. And when the kingdom of God is what we're talking about, it will produce fruit. You can't make the kingdom of God not produce fruit. Because it has the power of heaven behind it. It has the power of God behind it. The same power of God that makes every tree grow and every single molecule connect in the way it's supposed to connect to create that growth process. That's the power that is behind the kingdom of God. And it will grow whether 
we want it to or not, and it will grow in our hearts. And as it grows in our hearts as individuals, when we collectively gather as a church, it grows in the church's heart. And so this week, I am going to talk about the idea of our individual lives and how the kingdom of God grows there and what that might look like for us. And then next week, I'm going to talk about what it looks like in the church, what it looks like when the kingdom of God is growing as a church. But I will tell you this, no matter if it's in the church or if it's in our individual lives, it will be a process. But it will be a process that moves towards a desired end, God's desired end for it. And that process will produce fruit. It will produce fruit. And there's a time where there's a harvest. And when you get that fruit, there's a few things you can do with it. You can eat it. Yummy. Apples. I like apples. All right. You can eat it. And from that, you get reward. You get sustenance. You get um, the kind of pleasure that you need from eating the food. You get everything that you need there from the food, from that fruit. And yet at the same time though, within that fruit is something else. It's a seed. Actually within this fruit is the ability to reproduce itself again, to actually multiply beyond itself. And see what I think Jesus says, and what I think Paul says as we look into a passage that he wrote today, is that When it comes to our lives and when it comes to this church, God has us on a very clearly defined process, a plan, a purpose that he is driving forward. And that process, if we will tune into it and align ourselves into it, we will be much more satisfied with life. And it goes even beyond that. We will actually bear fruit. And we will bear fruit that rewards us, builds us, strengthens us, and multiplies our influence in the people around us and in the community around us, and in this church. The kingdom of God bears fruit. That's the purpose. That's the intention. That is what it does. But a process builds on top of every other stage, progressively moving towards the end, the goal. And you can't skip stages. And God has designed this process into the very fabric of reality, in the fabric of our own spiritual growth. And in the same way, a body grows, right? A body is meant to grow and a body is meant to mature and is meant to get to the place where it can reproduce itself. Now, I'm not going to take us to the fifth grade sex education classroom. That was very awkward for me as a fifth grader. And if you're curious about that and you're here, you can ask your parents. You can thank me later, moms and dads, for this little bit I've given you. But the whole idea is that the body reaches a place where it can then reproduce. Create a child, something in its own image and likeness. That's what a healthy body will do. And in the same way, a healthy Christian and a healthy church will do the same thing. The fruit is the reward and the ability to copy, the ability to grow, the ability to influence. And so this is what Paul talks about. If we go and visit a letter that he wrote to a church in a place called Colossae, it was an ancient city, a city much like Dayton. It had the poor, the rich, it had crime, it had all the issues maybe that we have here. They were just ancient. And in that city, Paul had never actually visited them. He didn't know them. 
He knew them because of a worker that he, a fellow co-worker of his, a minister on his ministry team that he was in close association with, named Epaphras. And Epaphras had brought the gospel to Colossae, a completely pagan place, had never heard of the gospel before, and yet this gospel was starting to grow fruit. It was starting to grow and expand. People's lives were being changed, marriages restored, addictions broken, the kind of things that the gospel does. And so Paul's writing to them, and as he's writing to them, we see that he's in the context of of this almost ecstatic prayer. Here's what he says in Colossians 1.10. For this reason, meaning that he heard about their faith and their love, and we'll talk about that more next week. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, that's Paul and his ministry team, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I want to notice something here. Notice what Paul prays for. He does not pray that they would be happy, although happiness is often a byproduct of doing God's will. I know that from personal experience. And despair is a byproduct of not doing it. He didn't pray that they would be rich, maybe rich in their knowledge of God. He didn't pray that they would be free from suffering, although I imagine Paul hoped that they would. He didn't pray that life would be without its curves and bumps and rocks. What he prayed for is they would be filled to the brim, full, at the height of its capacity, of understanding, knowing God's will. Knowing what he wants, knowing what pleases him, and then being able to discern what God's purpose and plan is in the situations of life that they encounter. That was Paul's prayer for them, and it is Paul's prayer for us today. And it's my prayer for everyone sitting in this room, including myself that we would know God's will, that we would understand him. And then Paul talks about this very idea. I imagine maybe he even thought about the parables of Jesus, that he wants us to bear fruit. This is what he says in the second uh, part of that verse. He says that you will live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, again, let's think about this. A life worthy of God, that's a tall order. But here's what we know. The kingdom of God grows as a process. It goes through a growth process moving towards the end where it will produce fruit given the time that's needed. And as it's moving forward, we can think about this process that as we have these mismatches in our experience between the internal reality that we are experiencing the world and the external reality, the demands that the world makes on us, that in that gap, there is a holiness there. There is the God who sees us and loves us and understands us there. The God of compassion who wants us to mature, who isn't there dropping the hammer. See, that's why Jesus had to die on the cross, because God had to judge sin. And so now God doesn't have to judge sin because it's been judged on the cross already. And so now he can see us as children, sons and daughters maturing, growing in faith. And he doesn't have to drop the hammer. It's already been dropped on Jesus. 
So now he can look at us and he can say, I see where you are. I see where I want you to be. I see the fruit I want you to have. And I am going to give you the relationships and the circumstances and the skills required to produce that fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work. Good, that means every work that God is pleased in. The works that God wants. See, we have to take our internal reality. We have to take the culture, all the messages that the culture says to us. We have to take everything that we have, all the struggles we have, all the ideals we have, all the dreams we have, and we must, as disciples of Jesus, lay them before the microscope of Scripture. Lay them before a God who, yes, will analyze us, And yes, there will be pain involved, but this is a good pain, the kind of pain that leads to healing, not the kind of pain that leads to destruction. And as God lays us on that table and examines us and shows us those places that we are weak, we can know that he wants us to bear good fruit. He wants us to bear fruit that multiplies in its influence, that rewards us here in this life and into the next. That is his desire for us. That's what he wants. He loves us that much. And part of growing in that fruit is knowing him more and more and more and more progressively. This is what he says is another attribute of living a life worthy of the Lord is that we would grow in the knowledge of God that we will be growing continuously in process, moving forward, knowing God more, personally knowing more, experiencing him more, beginning to see life not as a random set of events, but as God's purposeful plan for us that he is working out for good of all those who love him. In his power, he's doing it, and that the situations and the people and relationships that we come into contact are not random, but are sovereignly given to us by God. In his providence, God has seen what we need and has provided the way to do it. See, another way to think about knowledge is not only personal knowledge, it's not only information about the reality of who God is, but it is skills. It is this ability to navigate the world and see God will begin to reveal things within our character that are not pleasing to him so that he can bear fruit. And when he does that, and when we become aware of that, amazing things start to happen. We can start to take the perspective that God wants us to bear fruit. And as we grow in knowledge, God begins to bring the skills around us and the people around us and the resources around us that we need in order to meet the end that he has already determined we should have. He's not a rookie. He's not limited. He is purposeful and intentional and everything that he does, and that is no less true in our life than it was in Jesus Christ who came. Dialed into the Father, hearing him moving ever closer to what God had for him. But there's two kind of skills, though. And it's even hard to call them skills because they're really more character things that are part of this. We've talked about them before. I think I've actually even spoken on these very two things before in another passage that Paul writes. So I guess it's important. I guess he repeats it because we struggle so much with it. 
and it's very important. And those two skills, those character things, are patience and endurance. And see, those things are two sides of the same coin. This is what he says in the next verse, that you can live a life uh, worthy of God, pleasing him in every way, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. See, patience is the ability to accept. It is a capacity, a skill, a learned through experience skill to accept delay, to accept trouble and hardship without losing hope. Patience is difficult. And if patience is not grounded in the reality that God loves us, that he's created us, that the kingdom will grow and bear fruit, then patience almost seems worthless. Because we don't know what will happen. And it's too uncertain. But God's not uncertain. He knows. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead, so we have a guarantee that the kingdom bears fruit. In our lives here, the lives of our friends and loved ones, and in the world to come. See, patience is learning to accept the delay as from God. The trouble as from God. It's learning to accept the gap between who we are, the internal reality, and the demands of the external reality as a gift from God. To reveal to us where he wants us to grow, what he wants us to do, and to assure us of his good and gracious presence in our lives. And patience requires endurance. It requires the grit to keep going. And endurance requires patience. See, when we think about the process of the kingdom of God, the process in our lives to bear fruit, it requires patience, doesn't it? Because process, by its very definition, requires time. It requires effort. It requires having to go through experiences, oftentimes, that are negative or unpleasant experiences. And as we move through that, I mean, we know, right, that growth, real good Healthy growth isn't easy. It's always hard. It's always difficult. We know that. We know it intuitively. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And I want to show you what it means that it's worth it. I want to tell you what that might look like. Maybe, maybe you're having some trouble with your son. You love them. Things were great. When they're younger, it's been harder to connect with them now. They don't talk to you as much. You know, it's causing stress. It's causing some anxiety in your life. And so you're thinking about your son, and then you come across on your Bible app, you know, verse of the day, whatever, the email you get, and it says, love is kind. And you're like, huh, I wonder how kind I'm being to my son. And you start kind of thinking about this idea of love. You know, you know you love your son. You would give your life for him. But it's kind of hard. You fight him a lot. And you have affection for them, but then it's hard to connect with them. And then you kind of start thinking about yourself and you start doing some reflection and then you start to realize, man, God is trying to say something to me in this. 
And you start to Google, right, and look up like, hey, what, what does the Bible say about a relationship with a son? And then one of the things it says in Colossians 3.21 is, fathers, do not embitter your child. And you start to look that up and bitter. What does that even mean? So you start to look it up and you see, hey, wait, it means don't cause my child to resent me. And you start thinking about yourself and you start thinking, man, am I doing anything that's producing resentment in my child and not affection? And then you start thinking about this process ahead of you and you start realizing, man, God's, God's doing something to me and I, I, I got to start moving down in this. And the first step is you start asking people. You start talking to maybe um, your wife or maybe good friends or whoever it is and you start talking to them and they say, yeah, well, maybe, yeah, maybe you aren't being that loving to them. I mean, we know they, you love them, but you're not acting that loving to them. And then you kind of comes to mind that, you know, you kind of get home and then you turn on the TV and you check out. You don't really want to talk to them. I mean, you love them, but you don't have energy. And so you kind of just check out and don't really want to get involved. And then, and then you think about a few times when your son kind of tried to start a conversation with you about something awkward, but you just kind of shut it down because you weren't in the mood. And you realize I'm not a very good listener. And so you start thinking about how can I become a better listener and you look up scriptures on listening and you talk to people listening, you get a book out of the library on listening, you read it or you listen to a podcast on listening and you start realizing, oh, listening, that means listening. You know, he's like repeating what they're saying to me or, or you start to grow in these skills that God has that he's provided in his grace to all people and then you start to grow and then you start to say, man, I don't know if the problem's as much with my son. I mean, he's got to deal with his own issues. It might be more with me. And I can't control what he's doing. I don't have access to his internal mind unless he tells me, but I know what I'm thinking and I know what I'm struggling with and I know what God's telling me, so I'm just going to walk down that path. And you start walking down that path and then you start to notice that your son's more... Um, close to you, a little bit more affectionate with you, maybe a little bit more open with you. And as you invest into them, as you start to spend time with them and put things on the calendar to go and have specific conversations with them, what happens is in a year, maybe two years, maybe five years, maybe 10, then one day your son comes to you because you've been consistent in your character and you've loved them consistently despite their reaction to you. And then one day, your son comes to you and says, Dad, I've been struggling with my girlfriend because she's pushing me to be more physical than I'm comfortable with right now. And I'm in this tug of war inside between doing what I, the desire in me wants to do and then doing what I know God wants me to do. And all of a sudden, in that moment, you're able to then pour into your son, who have you had an estranged relationship or a tense relationship with, you're able to pour into your son and begin to be open to them, and they open up to you because there's been trust established, consistently established, all the things that are needed for that relationship. And the whole while God saw this process, he saw it in the beginning when he put that verse in your mind, when you opened that email and saw it, and he saw the end. He saw what would happen. And the reward is that now you have a closer relationship with your son. And now that relationship can build upon other experiences with them. And you can grow even closer with them as you grow to, to love each other even more and understand each other even more. And you get the reward, the fruit of knowing your son, of having good relationship. And then not only that, but there's a seed in there. Because maybe, just maybe in 10 years, okay, maybe hopefully 20 years, all right, when he has his own children, he's going to do the same thing with his son. 
when we take short-term perspective, we get short-term emotions, and they drive us. But God is not interested in giving you the microwave pleasure that you want now. He's interested in putting you through a process in a marathon that makes you the person, the mom, the dad, the husband, the wife, the son or daughter or coworker or employee that he's wanted you to be from the beginning. And he knows how to do it. There's fruit. We grow not for growth's sake, but for fruit. The band is going to come up. They're going to do another song for us, but I want to give you some perspective before they do. And I want to tell you a little secret. Maybe it's not a secret, I don't know. But I want to give you perspective on what pastors really want. Pastors are in it for the fruit. Pastors are in it to see change. We love when a marriage is restored. It gets us out of bed in the morning when someone is freed from addiction. When we see growth in their wife and they can't connect with their son or daughter, they can't connect with their mom and dad because they've grown in their heart. We live for that. But you know, we actually, it's even beyond that. I mean, that stuff's great, but that stuff is just a byproduct of why we really do what we do. It's actually just a side thing. I mean, not, don't be offended. We want you to grow. But it's not why we do what we do. We do what we do because of the gospel. We do what we do because we trust that God is faithful and good. And because it is so much beyond us that we get to play a part of this story that changes people's lives. The part of God's story, not our story, but God's that he is writing throughout all ages. We want to be a part of that story. Paul talks about this in Colossians 12 through 14. And he says that we can live a life worthy of the Lord, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you, qualified me, qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, the reason Paul went through what he went through was not so that people would pat themselves on the back and feel better. He did it because the God of the universe called him to share the love of Christ with them. And it was worth his life. The reason that Pastor Gill and Kelly went through what they went through to bring this church to where it is, and that's their story and his story, I'm going to let him share that when he wants to. It's not because he wanted us all to be happy. It's because he saw a vision of something bigger, something God was doing beyond himself. And this vision compelled him to walk in obedience. He knew he had to go through hell to get to heaven. Because so often that's the path. The reason life and gene left everything to go to Kazakhstan, minister to a Muslim country, 
The reason he left his, Pastor Life left his position of prominence within a large organization to come work here is not because he wants us to have good self-esteem. And I hope that that happens. That'd be a great byproduct, but it's because of the gospel. It's because he saw an inheritance and Gene saw an inheritance. They saw what God was doing and my two parents are sitting here in the audience today and the reason that they raised five kids, soaked their bed in tears so many times, sleepless nights, while the while carrying the burden of two churches, 40 years of ministry, is not because he wanted us or any of the people he ministered to and they ministered to to feel good about ourselves or to be happy or to have a life free of suffering. Now those would be great and that would be awesome. But the reason is because of the inheritance. The reason is because of what Jesus did and what the Father sent him to do. And every tear that stained those pillows, every anxious thought they converted to prayer, everything they did in their lives, they knew that as they went through the difficulty, the wear and tear of life and ministry, as they suffered through people who talked behind their backs, betrayed them, stabbed them in the back many times, as they went through the difficulties, the financial difficulties of ministry, the things that they, we have to go through at times, as they went through that, the thing that was driving them is not that people would pat themselves on the back and say, hurrah, I'm awesome. No, what was driving them was the gospel of Jesus Christ that grabs people out of darkness, out of sin, out of destruction, and places them in the kingdom of light. And what they do that all has been deposited into an inheritance that will pay off forever. Because that's how good God is. Look, I've said it before. I'll say it again. They're not special. I love them. What they have done is they listen to the call of God. They learn to hear his voice. And they walked in obedience. And there's fruit. There will always be fruit. But all this stuff, it's just preparation. All these processes we go through, it's just a part of that huge process, that great process that's leading this world towards the time when God redeems it. Sets everything right. And you can have the same reward too in your life. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.